I decided last week that I would go through the book of Ruth. I know I just finished an Old Testament series, but really felt led to do this. A um, little background information on the book of Ruth. First of all, the authorship, there are some that say Samuel or Solomon. My understanding is because King David is mentioned in chapter 4, verses 17 and 22, it would almost certainly fall in, and particularly uh, in Samuel chapter 2, King David is crowned and anointed as the king. So probably, from my own understanding of this, I would go with uh, Samuel. The date, it is either 950 B.C. or 450 B.C. These are two, uh, the dates are a little here and a little less. Um, I would probably go with the 950 because of the pre-monarch period rather than the post-exilic period. So roughly 950. The themes are kindness and redemption. Those are the two primary themes that come out throughout the book of Ruth, kindness and redemption. The purposes, I think there's three, and it depends on who you read and how many you want to go into, but I think there's three. One, to protect David's throne. God said he would establish the throne of David forever, and so the book of Ruth does this in chapter 4. Uh, there's also the idea of God's power, tragedy to triumph. Because there's a lot of tragedy in the book of Ruth, at least initially. But ultimately, it ends in triumph, and that's the God that we worship. God can take a terrible situation and flip it for his good and for ours. Then there's the idea that God's grace knows no bounds. There is nobody too far gone that God cannot redeem. There is nobody so deeped and steeped in sin that God cannot reach down and pick out and pull out and become a son of God, a child of God. So that's a brief introduction, but we still got one more thing, Ruth. It's read annually at Shavuot, which is the time of the giving of the law. So it's read every year, and uh, they read it because it's connected with the Mosaic law, the giving of the law. A second thing, Esther and Ruth are the only women to get a title in the Bible. Ruth and Esther. Now, I know a lot of people like to Judaize Ruth, but Ruth is a Gentile. She is a Gentile woman, and the only woman in the Bible that is a Gentile that has a name of a book after her name. And then Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. These are all very, very, very important. Um, and we're going to talk about genealogy here in just a little bit. But I, I wanted to give you a, a look at this because uh, it's so important to know that Ruth was a Moabite. And you would think that a Gentile woman would not have a place in the Old Testament, but Ruth is a major player in the Old Testament, in my mind. So let's look at what we learn in the first five verses today. First of all, we must obey God and we look at the setting. 
Some of this is maybe going to challenge the way that you've read Ruth and the way you've looked at Ruth, but let's go. In the days when the judges ruled, the word for judges is shafat, shafat. And that means one who adjudiates between two parties. It's one who makes a decision between two parties. But furthermore, it means to govern. So it's in the day of judges. That's one of the settings. So the question is, what's the judges? Well, if you take Joshua's death and you look at King Saul anointed, what you are left with is the period of the judges. Now, the judges ruled from around 12 to 1020. As those are rough dates. Some say 1,000 here. But roughly that is the dates of the judges. So when you think about the judges, think about Joshua's death and Saul anointed as king. And then right in the middle of that, you have the period of the judges. So the question is, what was the period of the judges? Well, let's look at it. One was to protect against invasion. This might shock you, but many of the judges during this period were military leaders. They were commanders. And so not all of them, but most of them were. So they were, they were put in place to protect the nation of Israel against invasion. But when you think about the judges, I want you to think of this. It was a very bleak period. It was not a good period in the nation of Israel. There was apostate religions who had come in. And so you have, a, uh, you have an, a possible invasion from foreigners. You have apostate religions. You also have unchecked lawlessness. When you look at our culture today, we seem to have an unchecked lawlessness. Well, it was bad in the nation of Israel at the time. Fourth, there were tribal, tribal civil wars going on. And what was really at stake here was na the nation of Israel's survival. So in this period, it was not a good period in the period of the judges. It was a very difficult period. It was a very difficult time. And so you, when you look at this in light of what God says moving forward, when you think about this uh, period, I want you to be mindful of the fact that this was not a good period, not spiritually in any other way, the nation of Israel was flopping. And then, of course, you have the story of Ruth. Now, we look at the flight. The flight in 1b to 2. There was a famine in the land, in verse 1. Famine. Now, there were different types of famine. There were... There was drought such as this. There was invasion of locusts. We've seen that in the Old Testament. There was also enemy invasion, which would often be called famine in the land. But you know what? Most scholars believe in conjunction with the famine was the idea that the famine was actually God's judgment on the nation of Israel. So you had a spiritual famine going on, and you had a physical famine going on. Let me say this. Sometimes in our own lives, we are living 
not like God tells us to live. That can produce a famine in our own life, if you will, where every thing seems dry. You just don't have a desire from God or to, to serve God, to love God. And so you could say, in a sense, there's a spiritual famine in your heart. So you have to connect. Most scholars connect this with the judgment of God, and I would have to agree with them, that there was a spiritual famine which led to a physical famine. And then, as we go on, and by the way, famines sometimes come for our own good. When you get to spots in your life when everything else has failed, you're very likely to turn to him when those famines come. You're very likely to turn back to him. Now, we go on and we read the narrative. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Okay, so we're familiar with the one. We're familiar with Bethlehem. That's the place, the birthplace of Jesus. Bethlehem Ephrata, from you will come a shoot. That's Jesus. But this is where this family was from. They were from Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, if many of you have studied the Bible for any long periods of time, uh, Bethlehem was known as the house of granular bread. But it, you could just say it this way, Bethlehem was the house of bread. However, at this time, there was no bread. There was no food. And the people were in deep trouble. But I believe the trouble was brought about by their own spiritual condition. And that's why God has this long period here of the judges where it's just a dark period in the nation of Israel. The word sojourn. Gimem vavrish. Gimem vavrish. And that means to live as a resident alien. So here you have, they go from Bethlehem to Moab, and they're living as a resident alien. Now, that's not bad. When you came into Israel, it was a pretty good deal to be a resident alien. You were treated much better. But when you go to Moab, it's a little different story. It's a little different story. I like what um, Jonathan Prime said in his commentary. If Bethlehem was a great place for an Israelite to live, Moab was the opposite, or should have been. Moab was not the place to which any God-fearing Israelite would choose to go for a holiday, let alone live there. You see, you know, it's not specifically stated, but it is heavily implied that spiritual famine can lead to bad decisions. Spiritual famine in our own lives can lead to bad decisions in our own lives as well. Times when we're not following God, we make wrong decisions. And I really think what happened here was he made a bad decision. Now, this is the route he would have taken. He would have come from Bethlehem with his family up to Jerusalem, over to Heshbon, down to Dibon, and then over the Arnon River into Moab. 
Now, depending on your calculations of how far you think this might be, um, it would be somewhere in the ballpark of a 100 to 120 mile trip. But keep this in mind, going from God's country, the house of bread, to a pagan culture. Now, it's true that Abraham fled to Egypt when there was a famine. That was a little different circumstance. Here you have a man going from Bethlehem to Moab. Different circumstance. Now I want you to remember these mountains right here. You see these mountains? We're going to get a look at them from a different angle. Now this is Moab, looking this way, back at the, at the mountains. Here you have the, the mountain regions, and this area right in here was very fertile. 25 miles in length it was very fertile i mean you could i mean just about anything you wanted to grow would grow so i can understand this man taking his family and it also suggests that the famine was isolated to the nation of israel further giving the thought that god was bringing judgment on israel because of their spiritual condition you go to moab things look really good the problem is when you get to Moab, you are a resident alien, and they could do whatever they wanted to with you. It wasn't a good place to be. Yes, there was food, but not the best place to be. And sometimes when we look at our own Christian lives, we think, wow, it would be good over there. We may not be following God, and we may not be trusting in Him with our lives. And so we decide we're going to go over here. And when we get there, it looks good, but ultimately it is not. Now, in verse 2, we read, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now, the, I believe that there's something to names, particularly in the, in the Old Testament. Um, Elimelech, do you know what his name was? My God, Yahweh reigns. Or you could say it this way, my God, Yahweh, is king. So, if you have a name like this, why then are you leaving God's country to travel? We, as New Testament believers, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. We represent Christ in our daily lives. Here you have Elimelech going away from the house of bread, going into Moab. Now, the name Naomi is a name that's, it's interesting that her name is this, but it's interesting why, why her name was this. Her name was Pleasant or Lovely. Nothing that is getting ready to happen to this woman is pleasant or lovely. She's getting ready to get devastated. The name of her two sons, Malon, which is the word for sick, Kilion, 
which is the word for frail. My God is king, pleasant, sick, frail. I think there's, there's, there's something to names, and in particular, in the Old Testament. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. So not only did they just sojourn, as our word indicates, not only did they just sojourn there, they settled there. They were sinking down roots. The text does not give us a clear indication but it seems to me like they were setting up shop. They had no intention of returning back to Israel. Of course, there's famine in Israel. You don't want to go back there. And I think the famine in Israel, my own interpretation here, the famine in Israel could have easily been reversed if the nation had repented and turned back to Yahweh, to Yodehave. They, they could have turned, they think that this could have been ended pretty quick, but it didn't. And so you have... Uh, this family moving forward. Now, ultimately, when you have a situation like this, the ultimate solution would be to say, wait a minute, let's go back to Israel, let's ask God to forgive us, bless our land, and he can turn things around. By the way, you do know that's the God we worship, right? If we ask and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, he can turn things around. But sin does have consequences. This is where we learn, or hardships will come. And we look at the bad situation. This is so fascinating. This is really, really fascinating. But Elimelech, the husband, this is verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. It just seems blunt to me it just seems blunt Elimelech died Yahweh is king he just died and now she's left she's left Sha'al Sha'al and this is the implication of words and how you can uh, come to interpret text uh, what I think correctly uh, the word Sha'al means a leftover part of a group. So there was four in the family, right? The husband dies, there's now three. These three are the leftover part of the group. But the word also refers to bereavement. It also refers to bereavement. And furthermore, this word is used to talk about those who survive God's wrath. You can't just look at a word and not let that word speak its full repertoire, its full meaning. So here, not only is she one of two others that are left from the group that her husband brought into Moab, but she is grieving, and it was a sign of God's judgment. So something happened here. Elimelech uh, 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 didn't do what God wanted him to do, and so it led to this situation, a bad situation. Now, I've done a lot of funerals. 
I've done a lot of funerals, and I know that people are hurting when people die. I, I get that. And so part of my job as a pastor when I preach a funeral is to give hope to the living. Not only give hope for those who have died in Christ, that we will see them again, but to give hope that there's a better way to live. Naomi now had trusted her husband. She follows her husband with her two kids. You can see them walking for days to get to Moab. And all of a sudden, Elimelech died. There's no, there's no explanation as to what happened. It's so blunt, it's like boom, 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 done. Also, there's something else going on in this text as well. And I, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But there's hope here. There is hope. She still has two surviving sons. There's hope. Something happens to these two young men. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the other, Ruth. Now, Orpah's name has been debated a lot, but I think the root of the word means neck. Some scholars believe that when she turned to go back to Moab, she was showing her neck to her mother-in-law. And that's where that name came from. Now, Ruth is the word refreshment. There's an image going on here. If Orpah's name means neck and walking away from God's country. And Ruth, who is a refreshment, particularly for Naomi. So you're thinking, from a funeral to a wedding. Oh, I love weddings. I, I love them because it shows a covenant relationship with God. Uh, and that the marriage is, is unbroken and it's, it's established by God. And I have been known to dance at, rece at receptions. I know Baptists don't dance, but I'm, you know what? It's a joy. I know, I know Baptists don't dance, but I'll dance at a wedding. You know why? It's a celebration. Here we have a celebration of Malon and Kilion. Not really. Not really. Again, word studies are important. These took Moabite wives. When you read that, you're thinking, I promise to love you, cherish you, honor you all the days of your life. Do you promise? Yes. You're thinking something like that, but uh, the word leka was not used here. The word leka is the word to marry. Nisah. Nisah is the word used here for took. And here's what it means. It means to lift somebody, put them on your shoulders, and carry them off. Ruth and Orpha were abducted 
by these two boys. You need a further confirmation of this. Let's look at Judges 21-23. So this is what the Benjamites did. Listen to this. This is, this is critical. While the girls were dancing, while the girls were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. They saw the girls dancing. They went down. They picked them up and they carried them off. This is exactly what's happening here. This is not something like, oh, Orpah and Ruth, would you marry us? No. Hey, I like her. Boom. Carried her off. That is wrong. That is wrong. That is not the way God does things. Again, we have here a situation where you have three men in the family who are not living for God, and you have one poor woman who's in this group, and things are going to change very quickly. Daniel Block says it this way, The Moabites are not listed in these Canaanite nations, but since they were people of Chemosh, Chemosh, a foreign god, the spirit of the law would have included them. It's still up for debate here. As the head of the household, Naomi should have forestalled these marriages. Well, first of all, <laughs> if I would have been alive, I'd have said, look, you cannot carry off women to be your wife. You just can't do that. You can't just go get what you want and take them off. That is not how the Hesed love of God works. So at minimum, this should have been forestalled. Here's something else. Read this with me. Just You don't have to read it aloud, but listen to this. They took Moabite wives, and they lived about 10 years. They lived there about 10 years. So um, Malon and, and Kilion took these women by their own, not by their own will, but he, they just took them. And they lived there for 10 years. That doesn't sound right either. That doesn't sound right either. You live there 10 years and you don't have kids. Rabbinic law. Rabbinic law. Truth. There was a rule that if you did not produce children at 10 years, you were free to divorce. You could leave. That's how big lines were. So here you have these women who were carried off. But I see, I see here, if you follow me, I see here the hand of God. Actually, if you read later, Deuteronomy 28, 18, you'll get your answer. Because you are not following God, your womb will be closed. I see, you should have had kids. Ten years is, and that's why it's specifically mentioned here, the ten years, because the rule, the rabbinic rule was, that if you did not produce a child within that 10 years, you were free to divorce. But God circumvented that process. 
He circumvented it. Hopefully, I've painted a picture here. And I think it's a correct picture of a leader of a home who did not follow God even though he bore the name of God in his own name. He had two sons who were obviously not living for him because they just went in and took what they wanted. That sounds very selfish, very immature. And you got to trace that back to the father. What are these kids learning if the dad isn't living right? That should be a wake-up call to us. And I realize that there's times we can train our kids, uh, we can train them in the ways of God, and sometimes one of those are going to depart from that. I understand that. And you pray for those children to come back. But what I'm saying is, men, we need to take control of our homes. We need to present a godly response to an ungodly world. And the way that we do that is by how we live our Christian lives. Elimelech and these two boys were nothing. Nothing. Like God wanted them to be. The bad situation becomes a dire situation. And I know there's many mothers that may be watching this by Facebook feed. And many of you here, you pray diligently for your kids. I want to encourage you to do that. And you try, like, well, my grandmother Fraser prayed for me. Notice what the writer says here. And both Malon and Kilion died. Blunt. Ten years. Oh, I'm not going to let you divorce these women. I'm going to take you out. You see that? I often wonder, I often wonder sometimes, just wonder if sometimes people, Christians, are taken out because of their influence and what they're not producing. I just wonder it. I'm not saying it happens. Here, it's, a, it's more than a coincidence. I look at the dad and I go, Dad, you weren't living for for Yodehave, you weren't living for Yahweh. You left the house of bread instead of staying and repenting the nation of Israel. You left. Your two sons act like they don't even know Yahweh. They just do what they want to do. And they died. Here's something else that's very sad. You, it's, when you read it, and then you get ready to see what I'm getting ready to tell you. You're going to go, wow, I get it. So the woman. Do you notice? Wife, mother is absent. And now the writer writes woman. Woman. Was left. Sha'al. To bereave and be the lone survivor of God's wrath. Blunt. Now she is without her husband, and she is without her two sons, and she is only identified here as woman. Didn't even stop to call her Naomi. 
dire situation. What does this mean? It means that the genealogy of Naomi is cut. I think genealogies, and in the Old, New Testament too, in the Old Testament are very important. Everybody knows who this is, right? King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII decided that he wanted to divorce his wife. So he didn't agree with the Pope, he didn't agree with the Catholic Church, so he started the Church of England. This is Roland Taylor. I'm thinking about genealogies and how important they are. Um, this is Roland Taylor, who was burned at the stake, by the way. King Henry VIII was impressed with Roland Taylor when he was a young boy, and he said, he said, if you survive childhood, I will pay for your education. Roland Taylor survived childhood. He got his doctorate in preaching. You say, well, Pastor Mike, how does this even fit in this? Because this man right here is my 12th great-grandfather. My daughter, who does a lot of genealogies, said, Dad, if this man had not been born, you would not be here. My 13th great-uncle was William Tyndale. There's something about lines. When you go back and you look at how the lines branch out, the Frasers, the Porters, the Taylors, all of this comes down to there were a lot of pastors in that line. He got his doctorate in preaching. I got my doctorate in preaching. My brother is a Christian. We have a lot of Christians in our family. We also have a lot of pastors in our family. And John Tyndale, the brother of William Tyndale, was also a grandparent of mine. And Holly, I, I asked her, I said, is this legit? And she said, yes. If he was not born, you would not be here. Now, why? It just seems to me that lines, even in the Bible, genealogy lines have significance. And we did have a couple of moonshiners. Holly told me that that skipped. God skipped a generation and then picked it up again after the two moonshiners were in there. It is, but, but, that's fascinating. And Holly said, Dad, I see it more and more in our family line. Preacher, 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 preacher. Christian, 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 Christian. Now think about poor Naomi. Gone. Whoever wrote this, and there's debates...
must have known that Naomi realized because of what has happened I have nothing you feel bad for her? I do I do but there is God there is God when everything looks bleak there is God 